Thank you, Father, for uh, your love. Thank you for this opportunity to uh, be here today, to be gathered with other people who have received uh, the, the incredible grace that comes from you and walk in faith, Lord, as uh, followers of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that uh, whether we're gathered here in person or online, all around the country and, in fact, the world, that, that we have this thing that, that unites us. And it's not a thing, but it's, but it's actually a person, the person of your son. And we gather in his name. And we, Lord, we want to we open our hearts up to how you want to speak to us today and how you want to change us today. So, uh, specifically also, Lord, we want to, to pray for, for Brett and Pam Comstock, for, for their, their kids as well, for, for Gabe and for Luke, for Grace and for Caleb. We pray for the extended family members as well, and we pray for the many family and friends of, of, of Andrews that are, that, are, that are grieving today and will be grieving for, for many days. We pray specifically in this day, God, as we, as we celebrate Andrew's life, as we, as we uh, go through this funeral service that, uh, this afternoon, that, that your Holy Spirit, God, would just be very present and it would provide the direction and comfort that's needed as we walk through this time together as a church family. We thank you, God, for the comfort you give us and for the way in which we can comfort one another with the comfort we first ourselves receive from you. We thank you for the way in which you are using your body to be of such great encouragement uh, to one another through this difficult time. And we pray that that would continue, that that wouldn't stop in the next you know, week or two, but it would, would continue and we would, we would lean on each other and lean into the relationship that we have with one another. And now, God, as we look into your word, we pray that you would be our teacher. And we pray, Lord, that, it, that as we often do, that this wouldn't be about, about more information that we have, but instead about the transformation of our lives to be more in line with what you want our lives um, to be all about. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are uh, in, a, in a study of the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 6. And if you've been following uh, that along, hopefully as we continue to work through God, John, let the, the cumulative effect of, of the way in which John uh, was inspired by God to write and the things, uh, points of emphasis that he was inspired by God to have that have really begun to resonate and deepen your appreciation and understanding of this particular gospel. In John, John 6, we saw that uh, there are several dramatic events that have kind of set in motion the, the, the focus of, of John 6. And one of those was that there was a large crowd that was gathered at the beginning of chapter 6 because they had heard about or seen uh, the healing miracles of Jesus. And so there was a large crowd, about 20,000. And, and uh, as the day wore on, uh, uh, it, there was this issue of how they were going to be uh, fed and so Jesus used this opportunity as a, as a teaching moment, and we saw that he took a, a very meager offering that someone had there of a, of a couple of lo some loaves of bread and, and a few fish, and that he took those and he multiplied them. He, and it's, the scripture says in verse 11 that after giving thanks, he distributed the, the, uh, to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted, not just so that they would have just a little bit, you know, until they, to get, to tide them over until they got home and could make their own meal. But Jesus gave them more uh, than what they ever expected. 
And so he used that to, to, to again, as a, as a sign, and John is using us as a sign to, to show us who Jesus is, to identify him as the Son of God, to help us to, to get a, a clearer picture of the identity of this person named Jesus. Well, at the end of that time, Jesus withdrew, Scripture says in verse 15 of, six, of John 6, to a, to a lonely place, and he prayed, and his disciples took off on the lake, and that creates another dramatic event in, in the life of Jesus, in that as he's as, as they're experiencing the, the journey on the lake, the, the winds kick up and the, and, the, and, the, and the sea, the lake of Galilee becomes really rough and they're fearful for their, for their lives and, and Jesus comes walking to them, them and they, thinking he was a ghost, cry out in fear, but he, he calms them down. He, he eventually gets into the boat with them and, and uh, so we kind of have this three-in-one miracle where Jesus is walking on the water where he gets in the boat and the, and the, and the lake becomes calm and then the boat is also instantaneously transported to where it was going which was the port of Capernaum so when he when he gets there of course there are people from the other side they're they're the next day after that miraculous feeding they're kind of wondering where everyone is and so they do the kind of the walk around the lake and they they get to Jesus they're pretty motivated that's not a short distance and so they 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 find Jesus in verse 25 on the other side and they said to him rabbi you know when did you get here it kind of a, almost just like an innocuous question, not anything too high level. And, and Jesus immediately makes it a little bit more high level in verses 26 and 27 when he, when he says, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs. And, and, and implying there that not because you saw the signs and thought I was something unique or different, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. You're, you're looking for me because you loved the free meal that I provided for you. And so he says to them, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. This creates a dialogue between he and those people that came to find him, and we looked at that dialogue last week, and near the end of that dialogue, the point that Jesus is ultimately going to drive them to is this dramatic statement when he says about himself, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. In the same way that he told the Samaritan woman at the well that he had living water that he could provide for her so that she would never thirst again, he says to these people that about himself that he is the bread of life and if they come to him, they will never be hungry. The one who believes in me will will never be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Remember, John is writing this gospel. He's identifying, he's using all these dramatic features of the life of Jesus. He's using these signs to try to help his readers to understand. And he was inspired by God to do this, that Jesus was the son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he was the gift, that he was the one that they were waiting for. And yet, as Jesus says, they missed it. They have seen him and yet they don't believe. At the end of this conversation that Jesus, when we left it in, in verse 40, as Jesus really uh, is trying to help them to understand again who he is, that he is the bread of life. And I, I shared with you that in that passage we looked at last week, we had three of the most characteristic features of the gospel of John. We have the use of, of John saying, I am, and, the, and we have this, or Jesus saying, I am, and John using that uh, literarily. And, and, and in, in that way, there's, there's, John has seven different statements that Jesus makes 
and one of those, the first of those is this, I am the bread of life. We also see this use of, of truly, truly, verily, verily, surely, surely, I say to you, amen, amen, is what, what the original language is. And then, of course, we have John's mention of the use and Jesus' mention of the use of signs. So at the, end of the, at the end of this discussion that he has with them, there's a reaction that comes from the Jews that are there. And oftentimes when you see John use the phrase, the Jews, he's most likely not just referring to generically people of, of Jewish faith, like, and that's who Jesus was, was ministering primarily to, but some have suggested that John is more likely referring to Jewish leadership at that time. Whatever the case, the next verse, and, and that's the, where we're going to pick the story up today, is, is found in verse 41. So if you, you know, on your device, you can look in John 6, verse 41. I'm, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. And the first reaction we get from what Jesus had to say about him being the bread of life is one of contempt. One to say, almost like they're saying, who does this guy think he is? Where does this guy get off saying this kind of stuff? In verse 41 specifically, it says, therefore, the Jews started grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. It's interesting how I said to you that, that when, when Jesus talks about and, he, and he, he's correcting them and, and help, trying to help them to understand that as he's coming, he's not coming as the new Moses, but instead he's coming as the new manna. And some of you who are familiar with the story of manna that it was provided miraculously by God on a daily basis for the Israelites as they were journeying from Egypt. Uh, all the way to the promised land, and because of their lack of faith, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and so God provided this manna, and probably just like we would have done, after they had eaten manna for day after day after day after day, they started what? Some of you know. They started complaining about it. (laughs) It's a miraculous food that God provided for them every morning, but yet at the same time, because it was something, you know, eventually he provided them some quail, and he he, he did diversify the the menu, so to speak. But they started grumbling about the fact that the the food that they were receiving in the desert by God, and they were there in the desert for 40 years because of their lack of faith. And as they they grumbled about, uh, about that, God was very upset with them. And so what we have now is almost the New Testament equivalent. Not only did they grumble about the old manna, the first manna, but now they're grumbling about the new manna, the fresh manna, the living manna, which is Jesus himself. So it says here again, they started grumbling about him. And, and, and just almost a picture of what had happened with their ancestors. And, and they're grumbling about this, this thing that he said, that, that he was the bread that came down from heaven. The word in, in, in the original language that we translate grumbling is gonguzo, which means to murmur, to mutter, or grumble. You guys hear it. If any of you sitting here today are parents, you know what it is. How many parents have heard their kids do this very thing when you told them they could or couldn't, had to do something or couldn't do some other thing, right? Grumble, mutter, murmur to say anything against someone in a low tone. Again, I, get, I wish I had maybe a dollar or two for every time I had to say with my own kids, what did you say? And same way for my dad saying that to me, right? Of course, and my, my mom as well. It's used to refer to those who confer secretly together or of those who discontentedly complain. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Who? What's, what's, and, and so this, this low-level conversation is going on, probably with the Jewish leadership. What in the world does this guy think he is to say that he is the bread of heaven? 
Who did, what, 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 are you, what are you talking about? And what, what's happening here as they're, as they're grumbling about it, the, the reason they're grumbling about it is just as Jesus said, I came, you see me, you've seen the signs, and yet you don't believe. It's again, they're missing it. They're missing the point. It's a case of mistaken identity. As they're grumbling about who Jesus thinks he is, how do they see him? Well, this is how they see him. Isn't this just Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? We know who this guy is. We know that he's nothing special. We know that he's just this traveling rabbi with whose home base is here in Capernaum. How can he now say, excuse me, how can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Missing an incredible case of mistaken identity of people not understanding who he really was and who he really is. And so Jesus, as he often does, Jesus, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation and you make like a dramatic statement. Like that's a pretty dramatic statement that Jesus said, right? I am the bread that comes down from heaven. I am the bread of life. The, the, when the I it, it feast on me I, and, and, and eat this bread, and, and you will never be hungry again. I am the living, I am bread that is alive, and I am bread that gives life. That's a pretty dramatic statement. Now, sometimes I've been involved in conversations with people, or maybe in leadership meetings, and maybe I say something, and somebody challenges me on it, and I start, got to start to backpedal a little bit. You ever had to do that in a meeting before? You ever had to backpedal? You ever had to kind of say, well, you know, you're right, I overstated, or I was, I was a little emotional, or whatever. We've all had to do that, Right? You maybe had to do it this week. Not, Jesus doesn't, Jesus never has to do that. Instead of backpedaling, Jesus begins to almost raise the, uh, try to raise the, the level of conflict. And the first way he does that is by referring to this dynamic duo that he is with his father. He says, oh, you think I'm the son of Joseph? Well, let me tell you about my father. Stop grumbling among yourselves. Stop all that murmuring. Stop all that talking among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me, not Joseph. My real father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day as it is written by the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Implying that they are being taught by God as they are being taught by him because he is God in the flesh sent from his father. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. And so Jesus, in the midst of them not understanding who he really is, is trying to help them to clarify, you want to know, you want to talk about who, whose son I am? I'll tell you whose son I am. I'm the son of the Father. I'm not the son of Joseph. And so he's clarifying this case of mistaken identity, which again is being missed. And then he, as we would often expect him to do in, in, the, in the Gospel of John, he uses a phrase that is a way of putting a strong emphasis on what's going to follow it. It, it marks it out as something important and significant. We've already seen it multiple times in the first five and a half, six and a half, five and a half chapters of John. 
And we're going to see it, like I've told you before, about 25 times. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, amen, amen. Don't miss this. This is important. This is is significant. And I want to put a strong emphasis on what I'm about to say. So as as he helps them to understand about this dynamic duo that he and his real father are, he then begins to not backpedal, but Jesus instead doubles down on what he's been saying. And he says the very same thing that he said before. Truly, truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. Why? Because I am the bread of life. Jesus doesn't back away from it, but instead he doubles down on it. And he wants them to, eat. okay, he said it once. He addresses their, the issue of, this, of, this, of his true, uh, the fa- whose, father he, whose son he really is, of, of the fatherhood of Jesus. And then he doubles down on this, this, this metaphor that he's using to help them to understand who he is by saying, I, again, I am the bread of life. And then he refers back, again, back to those grumbling ancestors, right? Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. They ate this God-provided, miraculous food every day, and all of them died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the new and better, perfect manna for you. I am the bread of life. That bread was great, and God did a phenomenal thing by providing it for you. But it did nothing to provide eternal life for you. But I'm here as the bread of life to provide it for you. And he goes on, again, doubling down. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So again, Jesus involved in these conversations is trying to, to point them continually to this truth of his actual, of his real, of his, of his unique and perfect identity as the son of God. And this particular metaphor that he's using as, and referring to himself as the living bread, the bread that provides eternal life, as the bread of life itself is one that they just cannot get their minds around. And so reaction number one to him saying that was contempt, right? Who does this guy think he is? He's just the son of Joseph. No, I'm not the son of Joseph. And so after clarifying that, doubling down, saying, I am the bread of life. And so what's their next reaction? They're confused. (laughs) They begin actually to argue among themselves. It says in verse 52, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Their emotional response is getting elevated here, right? First, they're just kind of saying, you know, they're, they're a little bit upset, and they're kind of, kind of saying, saying about Jesus, this guy has a pretty, you know, elevated view of himself, and that, that can, kind of contempt view. But now they're starting to, there's an anger and a, and a confusion that's starting to set in that's actually creating an argument. It says that they're fighting among themselves, right? It's the, it's the uh, Greek word makamai, which means to quarrel, to wrangle, to, to dispute or fight. This is what's happening because, again, because they don't understand what he's trying to say. They, the, the, what they're doing here, it, it can refer to people who are, who are engaging in like a, a physical struggle, like an actual hand-to-hand combat. It's a word that's used for that. And it also can, also can refer to people who are engaging in a war of words. And of course, in this particular example, it's, uh, it's, these people are engaging in a war of words about this 
person of Jesus. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Remember I said Jesus, when he was talking about bread of life, didn't backpedal, but he doubled down. Now he's going to do an even deeper commitment to what he's trying to tell them. And again, just so they don't miss it, guess how he's going to start? That you can figure it out, right? Super important, strong emphasis, absolutely significant. So he begins in verse 53 by saying that same thing, amen, amen, verily, verily, surely, surely, truly, truly, I say to you, and now not only is Jesus double down, but he triples down. He's not back, he's not moving away from his position because his position is the position of truth. So he doesn't have to backpedal like we do. He doesn't have to rethink what he said and say, oh, you're, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. Let me, let me rephrase. Jesus rephrases, but he basically st- is sticking with this very same metaphor. Truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Now, what Jesus has done here now has, he's crossed the line. This would have uh, aroused horror from pious Jews. Pious Jews wouldn't have even eaten the meat of an animal that still had some blood left in it. I know some of you like a rare steak or a medium rare burger. That that wasn't the way the ancient Israelites would have eaten their meat. All the blood had to be gone. And now Jesus is saying that that, that you, you will not have life in yourselves unless you, unless you eat his flesh and drink his blood? What's Jesus trying to communicate here? He goes on and, and, and kind of clarifies it further. He says in verses 54 through 58, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Now, what's going on? This statement that Jesus makes about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, what's he trying to tell us? Jesus, of course, is not advocating literal cannibalism, okay, of himself. And based on the grammatical evidence as well as the textual evidence with what John is doing and how he's writing this gospel, I don't really think Jesus is talking here about Holy Communion. He's probably not talking about the Lord's Supper. Some may believe that, and there are people who do. But the, the, this, this language that he's using is absolutely unqualified. There is no exception. And so if he's talking about Holy Communion, Jesus would be saying the only way to receive eternal life is to, is to participate in this meal. And I don't think that that was the intent of the meal that Jesus instituted that we're actually going to observe in, in remembrance today as, as, as the body of Christ. 
So I, I don't think he's talking about uh, communion. He's not talking about, of course, about cannibalism. He is talking about the one way into life. What Jesus is doing here is he's simply running with the same metaphor that he's been using the whole time. What has he been calling himself? He's been calling himself the bread of life. I am the living bread. I am the bread of life. I am the only way for you to have life. Everything else is death. They want bread. And Jesus desperately wants them to know that the bread they are after will only offer them momentary, temporary satisfaction. It will only sustain them, the meal that they were after. Because, right, what did, how was this whole discussion prompted? Because they were coming to him hoping for another free meal. Jesus told him as such. You're coming to me because of the food that I provided for you. I'm using this, this, this improper motivation that you have for coming to me to show you what your life should really be all about. It shouldn't be about the next free meal, but it should be about me, the bread of life. Eat me. Feast on me. I'm the only one that will satisfy. Remember I talked to you last week about I'm just like everybody else. I like a good meal. I like a great cup of coffee. And of course, as you learned last week, I love a good chocolate chip cookie. And by the way, some beautiful person brought me some chocolate chip cookies today. As wonderful as they are, they do nothing for my eternal life. Although sometimes I must say they are heavenly when I eat them. <laughs> and these are some good cookies. What we pursue with our life for only after that meal, it will only sustain us for a few hours, a few days. But what Jesus offers will last eternity. Here's why Jesus is using such dramatic language, folks. He's trying to tell us, and he's trying to encourage us to not try and get something from, to, to get from something or someone what you can only receive from God himself. The crowd wanted bread, but Jesus was offering way more than a free meal. You see, we all worship something. We all have one, this thing that's the pursuit of our life. The crowd that Jesus seems to indicate about them, they kind of are worshiping the, the bread, the next meal. And you and I worship something too. The reality is if, if we worship something or someone other than Jesus, I believe it will ultimately leave us empty. Whatever that one thing or one person is for you, even if it's your spouse or your, or your, or your parent or your child, if it's anything other than Jesus, it ultimately is not what your life should be about. Whatever that person is for you, it will only leave you wanting more. There might be a few of here, you here today who are familiar with an author by the name of David Foster Wallace. He lived in the uh, late, um, like was active in work in kind of the late 90s, 1990s, and then into the early 2000s. His most uh, highly acclaimed work was Infinite Jest, and it's often included on some of the, um, in the latter part of the 20th century on lists of, say, some of the top 100 novels. 
he, um, not, not sure of, of where, where he was at spiritually. Uh, he had a failed attempt to join the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, on his own admission, he says he flunked out of, the, flunked out of it. He later joined a Mennonite church, but I, I have no indication of where he was at in his relationship with God. Though he was a very talented author, he struggled with depression, struggled with alcoholism, struggled with drug addiction. In a, convention, in a commencement speech, he said this, everybody worships. The choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason, Wallace said, and the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth, he said. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths inside before your loved ones actually plant you. Worship power, Wallace said, and you you end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, he says, the insidious things about these forms of worship is not that they are evil necessarily or sinful. It's that they're unconscious. They're our default settings. In 2008, a couple of years after giving that speech, Wallace died tragically at the age of 46. And it's almost like his own words haunt him. Anything else will eat you alive. I have, like I said, no idea about where, his, where Wallace is spending eternity, whether he had ever come to understand Jesus as Savior or not. But I think the challenge that he offers in those words are one that rings true with what Jesus is saying when he says to us, I am the bread of life. And your life should be about feasting on me and me alone. Because even though you might never call it worship, you can be absolutely sure that you are worshiping, you are seeking something. And could we say that Jesus is saying to us, unless you're worshiping me, unless I'm the center of your life, unless you're trying to get your spiritual thirst quenched through me and not through anything else, then whatever you worship will abandon you in the end. It will literally eat you. Alive. Are you feasting on the flesh and blood of our Savior Jesus? Is He your living bread? Is He your center? Is He your focus? Is He truly what you worship?
with your whole being. That's the point that John was trying, I believe inspired by God, to try and make to his original readers because I believe that's the point that Jesus was trying to make with the crowd that was challenging him. I mentioned this morning that we're receiving communion today. And as we do, I I hope that when you hold in your hand that that cup, and hopefully you got one on your way in. If you didn't, there are, there are some out there. Make sure you can ask one of the persons out there to help you get one. If you're watching online and, you, and, you, and we try to give you that heads up, but if you, if you forgot or if you're not prepared, you can grab something to use as bread and something to use as liquid. But I hope as you hold in your hand these, these symbols of the, of, of the, of the body and, and, and blood of Christ, that it's a reminder to you about how your whole being should be given over into worship of this one thing that won't eat you alive, but he will make you alive. Let's pray. Father God, in this moment, as we reflect on the incredible gift of your son, as we reflect on his words that are so challenging and direct that he, speak, he spoke years ago and he speaks to us today. By the power of your Holy Spirit, God, bring us to that place, that simple place of complete and total surrender to you. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Take some time.